You're listening to the Bible teachings of Reality Church Stockton. For more info, please visit our website at realitystockton.com. Our reading today is from Romans 15, beginning in verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the word of the Lord. In the 1980s, Leonard Cohen wrote a song, Hallelujah, that begins with this famous line. Now, I've heard it, there was a secret chord, and David, but David played, and it pleased the Lord, but you don't really care for music, do you? And it goes like this, the fourth, the fifth, the minor fall, and the major lift, the baffled king composing, hallelujah. Come on, guys. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Very good. So here's the question. That's enough of that. <laughs> Just kidding, that was beautiful. Here's the question. What is that secret chord that pleases the Lord? What is that sound that is so beautiful that it perks the ears of God in heaven? Well, from what Romans 15 here tells us is that sound or that secret chord, if you will, is God's people unified in one voice praising God. No other sound is more honoring, no other sound is more pleasing to God than this. Now, in this portion of Romans, the Apostle Paul has been focusing on unity in the church, and by way of reminder, in the first century in Rome, there were racial and cultural divisions that were occurring between these two distinct people groups, the the Jews and the Gentile Christians. And what Paul is showing the reader is that the gospel that saves us from sin, that gospel that reconciles us to the Father, is the same gospel that provides supernatural peace among us, among otherwise divided people. And the word that we find in this passage that sums up this vision of gospel unity beautifully is harmony. Harmony. Harmony is the joining of a number of diverse notes that when played together in unison, create a full and a pleasing sound, multiple different notes being heard as one single unitary tone. But there's a problem. And the problem is that instead of harmony resounding from the church, the sound that is too often projected is discord. What is discord? Discord is that harsh unpleasant sound 
that occurs when two or a few notes clash and are out of sync. Discord refers to the state of disharmony between notes or chord, and discord is actually the, the experience of the listener as well, that sort of tension that is experienced by the listener. Can we do a little field trip here? Okay, because I'm already on a roll this afternoon, so we're going to go for it. Can you hear me? Okay. Pleasing sounds. So we were watching a, uh, we started a, a suspense horror film last night about people invading in the home. This is not the sound of harmony. This is a sound of, there's someone at the door. Don't answer it. What are you doing? There's tension. And then there's resolve. Discord. Disharmony. You guys follow me? Okay. I try really hard to get some of these concepts uh, uh, across. So discord is that, that feeling of tension, like, oh, there's something wrong. There's something out of place. Most mornings, the kids and I spend time singing a hymn and then studying the Bible. And there have been way too many mornings where, you know, I'm like playing the piano, we're in the mood. I'd like to think that we're like deep in the spirit. All the kids are like so engaged as we're singing these, these hymns. And then, blow, a wrong note. And it just kills the vibe. You've probably been in a worship service where it's just like, oh, okay, we were going there and then just like, blow. There have even been times where Michelle's like in the other room and she's like, wow, wow, that's, that's disorienting. Discord. Music becomes harsh to the ears when there's discord. But not only is music harsh when there's discord, it also becomes indistinguishable. An example of this is found in the Old Testament book of Ezra. After God's people had spent decades, near a century in exile, they come back home to Jerusalem, to the ruins of what used to be their city, what used to be the epicenter of Hebrew worship, and they initiate the work of rebuilding the temple first, because worshiping God is always the highest priority among God's people. And... They begin the work, and it says that after they laid the foundation, the walls are not built, there's no roof over their head. It's like if you've ever been to a construction site, they've just finished the pour. It's just like the slab on the ground. And they're so excited to see movement. They're so excited about the hope of worshiping the Lord again. And what they do is they gather the worship team together, and it says this in Ezra 3. And they sing responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel and all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So the people lift their song. There's this moment of celebration. There's joy. There's jubilee. They're singing in unison. But... Verse 12, but many of the priests and Levites and heads of the father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, they had seen the former temple, of the glory of the temple, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of this house 
being laid, though many shouted aloud for joy so that the people, listen to these words, could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout and the sound was heard far away. So what's happening here, it creates the sound that is indistinguishable. One, one more sort of like learning experiment here. So this side, I want this side to sing a chorus. Um, is Christine over here? Okay, you are good, king of my heart. This side over here, you're gonna say wah, wah, wah. Okay, go Tina. Chris, come on. Okay, great. So this is what the people are hearing. I hear good, I hear praise the Lord, but I also hear wah, wah, wah. And I want you to think about this. A harsh, unpleasant sound that the listening world cannot distinguish. Such a true yet unfortunate description of what the world is often hearing and the discord that is often occurring in the church. It was silly for us to partake in that, but it is a sad reality of what the, the world hears from the church today. You see, the focus of this portion of, of Romans 15 is not primarily about our discord. We know enough about that. The focus here is harmony. And that's really good news because what it tells us is that God's power to bring us into harmony is always going to be greater than our ability to bring discord. Because of Jesus, because of Jesus' grace among us, we can be together as one despite all of our differences and create a pleasing sound to both God and to the listening world. I really, truly believe that. And this passage has something to say about that. So the big pressing question is this, what brings us into harmony as a church? And I believe that there are three things that we see in this passage. What brings us into harmony is first, the example of Jesus. Secondly, the encouragement of the scriptures. And then thirdly, the exaltation of our God. Let's look first at the example of Jesus. Look with me again in verses one through three. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up for Christ did not please himself but as it is written, the reproach of those who reproached you fell on me. So what this is showing us is that the motivation and the model for living a harmonious life it's found in the life of Jesus. Many of us are gonna pursue a number of different things. We're gonna pursue different careers and different hobbies. We're gonna have different styles, different expressions, different gift sets. Our lives are gonna look very, very different in so many ways, and we ought to embrace how God has made us and wired us and gifted us differently. Our differences are not necessarily a threat to our unity. But what keeps us aligned, what keeps us in sync, is having a shared vision for life, that one 
central focus that brings all of our diversity and all of our differences into harmony so that we are moving in the same direction with the same overall goal for our lives, for our families, and for our community. And Paul is making sure that we understand that our vision is to be centered and focused on Jesus. When we fix our eyes on Jesus, how he lived and loved perfectly, how he completely aligned his life around the will of God, how he died sacrificially to remove our guilt and shame, how he rose powerfully to overcome sin and death, how he sent his spirit to indwell us and to empower us for godly living. When Jesus is our central focus, we are then motivated to pursue the things that he pursued. We are then motivated to bear one another's burdens. We are then motivated to be kind and patient with those who are vulnerable. We are motivated to put our wants and our demands and our dreams and even our rights aside in order to build others up as Jesus has done for us. With eyes fixed on Jesus. There was a movement of churches uh, in the 1700s called the Moravians, an extremely devoted group of Christians that esteemed unity in the church and care for out, those outside of the church. And they were, their, their model was very simple. We are resolved to, to really be guided by the gospel and the example and teachings of Jesus. That's what we're gonna do. We're gonna be simple, we're gonna focus on the gospel and the example of Jesus in a way that left a lasting imprint on Western Christianity today. A lot of how we order small groups and prayer meetings, a lot of the things that we do today has been shaped by that movement hundreds of years ago. And the movement traces its beginnings back to a very young leader named Nicholas Zenzendorf. He was 19 years old when he visited this art gallery and as he's walking this art gallery, He's struck by this painting by Domenico Fetti called Behold the Man, Look at Him. And it's a portrait of Jesus with the crown of thorns. And the story goes that he began to be gripped in his heart. And as he stared at this painting, his eyes were drawn downward to this little personal inscription by the artist that said these words. All of this I did for thee, what dost thou for me? In other words, I gave it all for your sake. Will you give it all for my sake? And this vision of Jesus and his sacrifice changed the entire direction of this, this person's life. He gave away much of his wealth. He poured himself into his community, poured himself into this church community, and really, by God's grace, started a movement that even continues today in the 21st century. And I believe that we need, we reality, we as the 21st century Western church need a similar vision. And I'm not talking about staring into a painting or even a relic, but I'm talking about staring deep into the face of Jesus Christ that is seen most clearly in the gospel. And it's only when we are gripped and guided by who Jesus is and all that Jesus has done for us, 
that we will be willing to rearrange our lives and reorder our lives for others. Harmony comes when we are willing to follow Jesus' example of selflessness. Harmony comes when we say yes to following Jesus into sacrifice for the sake of others. Amen? How do we come into harmony? Through the example of Jesus. Secondly, what brings us into harmony as a church? The encouragement of the scriptures. The encouragement of the scriptures. Now, a few years back, I, I saw the Stockton Symphony perform at, um, what's the Delta Performing Arts place? Anyone know what it's called? This, what is it? Yeah, yeah, Atherton Performing Arts place. place. <laughs> and um, they were performing John Williams' most famous movie scores. Uh, Star Wars, Indiana Jones, who else? Uh, Jurassic Park, some of like the best music uh, from movies. And it was pretty amazing, it was very high quality for a local production, but one of the more overlooked and yet vitally important parts of the entire performance was the tuning process at the beginning, without which the entire thing is chaos. No one's paying money for that. For anyone not familiar with music, and that's me, there's this process of tuning, this process called tuning to concert pitch, which is typically going to be A. And it's this agreed upon note that then creates a standard for everyone else performing. So what you do is you identify the most reliable instrument in the room and then that becomes the tuning source. And so it typically begins with like a piano, and then the oboe comes in, and then one by one, the rest of the instruments chime in. And even that initial, like pre-concert note, if you've ever been to a performance like this, it's powerful, it's beautiful. And you hear that, that dissonance, that wah, 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 as they're these like slightly out of tune, instruments bend and conform to one unified note. No one on stage is saying like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm gonna be true to me. I've got my own original sound, so you tune to me. No, they all bend, they all conform to one note in order to display the most beautiful sound possible. So what is that one unifying note for us? What is our concert pitch that we are tuned to? And the answer is the scriptures. Look at me again in verse four. For whatever was written in former days was written, what? For our instruction. That through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So. The Bible not only brings our own individual lives into alignment with God's will, it's the Bible that brings us as a community into alignment with God's will, as we together devote ourselves to God's word. This word, God's word, becomes that agreed upon standard tuning that we all commit ourselves to bend our lives toward that then creates clarity, that then creates beauty that is both pleasing to God and attractive to the community around us. 
So it makes me wonder why there's so much discord in the church today. Perhaps it's because we've abandoned our devotion to God's word. This is what we're doing when we participate in Bible study. This is what we're doing when we gather every single week, rain or shine, to gather under the authority of God's word. This is what we're doing when we hold each other accountable, when one of our lives is coming out of alignment with God's instructions. This is even what we're doing when we practice church discipline. What are we doing? We're tuning our hearts back into alignment so that we may live as a harmonious community that displays the beauty of Jesus Christ faithfully to the listening world. And so in this brief one verse here, we're told two really important things about the scriptures. The first is that the scriptures are for us today, for our instruction, Paul says. See, we are often tempted to treat God's word like we are archaeologists or anthropologists. We're looking back at some dry, dead, ancient piece of religious literature, and it tells us about some events that happened in the past, maybe some true, maybe some mythological, and then maybe we can learn from the examples and kind of apply it here and there as we go along. But Paul tells us that what was written to original readers in very original context, that those same scriptures have just as much power, just as much relevance, just as much beauty for us today. Just as much ability to encourage us and to give us strength to persevere as ever before. God has spoken and God is speaking. So no one here today can say, I've never heard God's voice. Yes, you have. You heard it today. You heard it through the scriptures. You heard it as the word was proclaimed over you. God has spoken and God is continuing to speak today. Can I get an amen? These accounts of God's faithfulness and redeeming power speak to us and it becomes a testimony of what God can and God is willing to do among us. That is what brings us hope. We look back at what God has done and we say God can and will do it again today. He is just as powerful and just as present as ever before. God is with us. God is speaking. And so an idea that is really important to revisit comes from a philosopher named Alistair McIntyre. I've read this quote quite a few times because I think it's important. He said this, I can only answer the question, what am I to do? What is my purpose? What is the meaning of my life? If I can answer the prior question of what story or stories do I find myself apart? I'm only going to, going to know what my life is supposed to look like and where I'm supposed to be and what my purpose is and what my meaning is if I back up and I recognize what story I'm a part of. And without the testimony of the scriptures, we are fragmented. Without the faithful testimony of God's word, we're aimless. We're pursuing our own kingdoms. We're all moving in a million different directions. 
But the more that we are immersed in God's story, and I mean daily in God's word, daily feasting upon the bread that is God's word, the more that we're gonna find our lives coming into alignment with both God's will and each other. How can we commit ourselves to being a unified body? By daily committing to be in God's word. By seeing our lives as a part of God's story. And the more that we find our lives coming into alignment, the more that we will find alignment among us, living in clarity about who God is, about who we are, and then about how we are to interact with one another. The scriptures are for us today. But secondly, what we see here is that the scriptures are about Jesus. The scriptures are about Jesus. We are probably going going to take for granted what Paul has just done in this passage. But it would have been extremely uh, impactful, especially for a first century Jewish Roman reader to see what Paul has just done. So here's what Paul did. In verse 3, Paul quotes from Psalm 69, which states, the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. Then, here's the kicker, he credits that statement to Jesus. See, it was lost on us. (laughs) But for a Jewish audience, they would have been like, whoa, 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 Paul, what did you just do? You're tripping, you have your timetable all messed up because this is a psalm, Psalm 69, was written 1,000 years before the incarnation of Jesus Christ. And yet, what has Paul done? He says it was all about Jesus. These words were from Jesus and about Jesus. In the Gospel of Luke, in the days following the crucifixion of Jesus Christ, it tells us in Luke 24 that there were a couple disciples that were so discouraged by what they had just seen in Jerusalem that they turn around and they leave Jerusalem just to return to their lives like prior to Christ. They're so heartbroken by what they've just seen. But Jesus appears to them on 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 the road to Emmaus. But they don't recognize that it's Jesus initially. And he begins to converse with these troubled disciples and he's challenging their despair and he asks them, wait, 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 wasn't the Messiah supposed to suffer? Like Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, by his wounds you're healed. Like, wasn't this the plan that the Messiah would suffer all along? Isn't this what you read in the scriptures all along? And it says this in verse 27. I want you to picture the scene. This is like the best Bible study ever. And beginning with Moses, all the way back to Genesis, in other words, and all the prophets... Jesus, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So picture this scene. He's all the way back in Genesis. He's scrolling through the book, or probably from memory, and he's saying, yeah, that was about me. Yeah, that was about me too. Well, that wasn't about a boy and a stone. That was about me, and that was about me, and that was about me. Let me just stop you there. It was all about me. One author put it this way, believe it or not, Christ permeates the scriptures. He is the living word of whom the written word speaks constantly. 
Everywhere we read, we find hints, glimpses, foreshadowings, veiled references, graphic pictures, whispered allusions, and prophetic mentions of Jesus. Picture this. He moves through all the pages of the Bible. Look carefully, and you will see him again and again and again and again. So here's the deal. The scriptures are for us. But that is never to be mistaken for the scriptures are about us. The scriptures are for us, but the scriptures are about Jesus. And when we stop treating the Bible like it's all about us, we treat the Bible like like a group photo. When we finally see that photo, where are our eyes drawn? they draw, they're drawn to ourselves to see how we look. We ignore everyone else and we are drawn to ourselves. That's not the way to read the Bible. When we stop treating the Bible like it's all about us and recognize that it's all about Jesus, here's what happens. It changes the way that we see and interact with other people. How? We will stop demanding that people find their place in our story And we will begin to see our meaningful place in God's story. And when we see our meaningful place in God's story, we begin to recognize other people's meaningful place in God's story. What's our problem? We make it about us. It's for us, but it's about Jesus. Let's look third at the exaltation of our God. What brings us into harmony as a church? And the answer is simple. It's praise. Praise. Exalting God is not just something we do for God. Exalting God is primarily something that God is doing in and for us. I wonder when we gather on Sunday afternoons now and we're called to lift up our voice and we're called to worship the Lord and we're called to clap our hands. Good, good, good job, Christina, calling us to clap our hands earlier. I wonder if we're like, ah, oh, I gotta do this for God again. I wonder if instead we could begin to see our praise as an opportunity for God to minister to us, an opportunity for God to do something deep in us. Let me illustrate this. A hymn uh, that we're gonna sing in just a minute, Come Thou Fount, it goes like this. Come thou fount of every blessing, tune my heart to sing thy grace. Streams of mercy never ceasing, call for songs of loudest praise. Teach me some melodious sonnet, Sung by flaming tongues above, praise the mount, I'm fixed upon it. Mount of God's redeeming love. That is a remarkable picture. Because what the hymnist is saying is that through praise, our hearts are being tuned to the song of heaven. As we praise, as we sing, God is changing that dissonance of every single one of our souls, not only coming into alignment with one another as the local body, but now coming into alignment with the eternal song of heaven. As we sing, 
God is tuning us. And the only way that we will be tuned to the sound of heaven is through praise. No instrument is just tuned with no noise. You gotta pluck the string. You gotta blow through the reed. You gotta make that sound. You gotta linger into that dissonance. You gotta linger into that off-tunedness and then slowly come into tuning. As we lift up our praise, even when we don't feel like it, as we lift up our praise, even when we have had the worst week ever, when we lift up our praise, when we feel so unworthy, God is faithful to tune our hearts. God is faithful to bring us into alignment with heaven. A unique characteristic of reality church that dates back to our earliest days in the dark, dingy empire theater is a heart of praise. A worshiping community and a worshiping culture that has been formed like deep into our DNA as a church now. And what drew me to this community to be a part of it was the emphasis on worship. If any of you were around in those earliest of years, despite ridicule from the people in the coffee shop, despite hecklers, sound issues, rodents, plaster falling from the ceiling, Lord help us here, deja vu. Like every single time we gathered, it was always like a near death experience. We didn't know how it was gonna shake out, but we continued to sing. Like that was our thing. We didn't know where we were going. We had no idea how we were gonna get there, but we just kept singing. And in the history of our church, as I look back and I see some really chaotic times, demonic attack, attempted church divisions, really painful leadership turnovers, constant moving, sudden moves, I see the thread of worship. I see that thread of that willingness to praise God, binding it all together. And as I look back at our history, I think about 14 years now as a church, I think the thing that God has used most to unify us and to hold us intact has been that shared heart of worship, our unity around praise. And as I try to imagine, as I try and hope to envision the next 14 years into the next few decades, I really believe that it's gonna be praise and that shared vision of praising God that God uses to keep us intact in the decades to come as well. And so with deep conviction and profound confidence, this is my prayer over you, reality. Verse five, may the Lord, may the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May those who belong be strengthened, be unified in your praise, and may those who do not yet belong find your place today in heaven's song, in the choir that is God's church by trusting in your heart that Jesus died and rose for sinners like you and me, and by confessing with your mouth or through your song, that Jesus is Lord over all your life.
May God strengthen us. May God unify us. And may God, by his Holy Spirit, cause us to lift up one voice today and in the years to come. Amen? Let's pray. God, we thank you for...